0: Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Okay, Mike Vogel, welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Great to have you on the show today. How are you? Thanks, Michael. Excited to be here. Great. This podcast was really inspired by our broken healthcare system and the fact that, that healthcare costs continue to rise at an unsustainable pace. And, and while it's broken for many of us, it's working just fine for many of the players in the healthcare and the health insurance system. They're making tons of money and they're not necessarily interested in changing the status quo. So what we seek to do here on this show is educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. And so our interest is uh, is really in helping those who are, are ready to do something different to give them the tools that they need to improve their healthcare plan. Make sense? Absolutely. To get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and your company so the audience has some context, and then we'll jump into the interview. So here goes. As an international prescription provider, uh, CRX International offers Cities, counties, school districts, and private sector companies, an innovative option to lower healthcare prescription costs. CRX programs offer an alternative distribution channel for employers to secure brand name medications at an average savings of 30 to 60%. Mike Vogel has over 30 years of experience in employee benefits with a focus on self-funded plans for the past 15 years. And prior to coming to CRX International, he was in a management capacity for five years doing startups for various divisions with the National Benefits Brokerage Company. He was also Regional Sales VP for a major insurance carrier that operated as a TPA for the self funded Marketplace. Mike is responsible for the development of sales in the brokerage market nationally for CRX International, and he holds a CEBS designation. How's that for, for a summary, Mike? That sounds great. That's a good background, Michael. <laughs> All right. So, aside from that introduction, tell our audience just a little bit about yourself. Who is Mike Vogel, and how did you get into the the healthcare prescription drug industry? Yeah, I I started
1: in the benefits business about thirty years ago, actually a little over thirty years ago, actually in Southern California, in San Diego area, and actually started in the life insurance arena, and then quickly realized after a year or two that uh, the benefits were more to my liking, and it was daytime activity for me, and so I. Gravitated toward the, the benefits arena in Southern California, and then ultimately started working for a major insurance company and and worked in their self funded area. So I gravitated into that self funded arena
0: and started working with larger employers over time. You've been in the business for a good long while, and and uh, you know you've had the opportunity to see the changes in the marketplace. If we start at the macro level, what do you think is wrong with the the current healthcare system today, and specifically? you know, the prescription drug component of healthcare? Yeah, that's an interesting
1: question, Michael. I, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with the, with the system today. And, and obviously we haven't really tackled a lot of the issues that the underlying cost drivers behind them. But in, in specifically in the drug arena, I think that uh, when you look at the pharmaceutical industry, um, they're very, very strong lobbyists uh, in Washington, D.C. You know, they're very um, adamant that, that they protect themselves and, you know, they if there's any new legislation uh, going to happen, they're at the table very early on to make sure that they uh, protect the goose that lays the golden egg, essentially. That whole model that we have built today in the prescription drug uh, arena with the pharmaceutical manufacturer and their lobbying efforts, uh, they're direct to, to consumer marketing, and then you've got you know uh, wholesale importers like Cardinal Health and McKesson. Uh, that are involved in the process and in, you know, different carriers and hospital systems, et cetera. So I think ultimately you've got a system that, that is layer after layer after layer of uh, bureaucracy, red tape, and cost that is almost impossible to to drive down that cost because of all those those players uh, and virtually everybody involved in that process uh, from the top on down from the manufacturer uh, to the wholesalers, to the TPAs and, and health systems, et cetera, are profiting from the cost of, of prescription drugs in our healthcare system. And I think until that starts to to change, um, you know, and until we start getting competition, if you will, in the healthcare system, um, nothing's going to change in the U.S. I'll give you an example, too, and, you know, you may know this, but, but in, on Medicare, it's against the law for Medicare to, to negotiate uh, with pharmaceutical manufacturer for the price of their drug. I mean, that's just totally upside down. Yeah, it, it's absolutely totally upside down. And, and so when you look at, at the cost of the drugs um, and, you know, it's just, it's just
0: not going to, not going to turn around anytime soon based on the system that we have today. Well, I think that was a, a pretty good summary. And I think I probably couldn't have said it better myself. There are so many different players in the industry and, and everyone's, Incentivized to maximize their own profits. There's there's really very little incentive for any of the healthcare players to actually lower their costs, and, and I think that's why we see healthcare costs increase year in and year out. Let's transition a little bit to to focus on on the prescription drug pricing because that's really relevant to what you guys do. I, I think the prescription drug component healthcare is and, and insurance is one of the most misunderstood components in healthcare. You stated or alluded to the fact that uh, you know, they have strong lobbying arms to protect the golden goose. And I think you know, sometimes people really don't know, you know how much money is being made in prescription drugs. The PBM industry alone generates over $300 billion in revenue annually. So one, yeah. you know, this, this drug pricing is clearly a major profit center for, for insured carriers and PBMs. You know, you've also, there's no, there's no cost transparency to the employer or the consumer. So it's really hard to know what you're getting. Um, and then you've got the fact that prescription drugs, the, the costs that, that pharmacies are going to bill, that cost can vary widely from two pharmacies that are across the street from each other. So oh, a, lot, a lot of challenges here with, with prescription drugs. Uh, but with, with that said, let's, let's tell the audience, you know, who is CRX International and, and what problem is your company attempting to solve? Yeah, CRX International is an international
1: prescription provider. We're well, not a PBM and we're not a pharmacy, but we're an international prescription provider that allows members of self-funded plans for the brand name drugs and, and some specialty drugs to access those drugs at a zero copay if they have a program implemented. And uh, for the plan sponsor, probably, you know, 40, 50, 60%, some cases 70% lower cost for them. So what we're trying to do is address that issue Um, As as these self-funded plans look at at specialty drugs coming into their formulary uh, and their drug costs going out of control, we're trying to address that issue and impact that. And actually, in most cases, we can actually reverse the trend uh, for the plan sponsor if our program is implemented. Um, Again, as as I mentioned earlier, we're not going to see the pharmaceutical companies solve this problem. We're not going to see Washington, D.C. solve this problem, I don't think. Um, we waited years and years and years for that to happen. Um, so they've engineered their own system. It's a great system. But when you look at, at the CRX program, we access drugs uh, through four tier one countries. Mm-hmm. And we have a network of pharmacies in those countries, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. Those countries are all socialized medicine. And they all negotiate directly with the pharmaceutical manufacturers for the price of their drugs. And what a novel idea. I mean, you know, negotiating directly with a with manufacturer. And, and so in their system, every, every drug is a line item on their budget for health care. And if they don't get the price they want, they may not allow that drug to be imported into their country. That's the kind of, of you know, pressure and, and, and leverage they yield when they negotiate that way versus, you know, we can contrast this a little bit from the U.S. system where you've got lobbying, you've got, you know, many hands in the pot, and you've got, you know, I'm trying to continue their profits. Here's the other thing that's really telling on on the industry is the majority, I'm going to say 80 to 85 percent of these brand name drugs and these specialty drugs we're talking about, are not manufactured in the U.S. anyways. And they haven't been for the last 15 or 20 years. That's the big, ugly underbelly of of the pharmaceutical industry. And they want everybody in the U.S. to believe that those drugs are manufactured on Main Street, USA. They're not. They've been manufactured in, in FDA-approved plants and factories around the that, wow. uh, use Pfizer or GlaxoSmithKline um, have been manufacturing these things for years and years and years. So the, the reality is, for employers and for members, whether they go to Walgreens or Walmart or CVS locally, chances are pretty good that that drug was imported, manufactured outside the U.S., and then imported to the U.S. As American citizens, we typically don't see... The manufacturing uh, location, because all of our prescriptions are are usually, you know, they dump 30 pills onto a tray and scrape them into a bottle and put your name and your doctor's name on it. So you don't see where the, old, the original manufacturer uh, took place or the manufacturing took place on that drug. All you know is you've got your 30 pills and, and you're set. Um, so it, it's more of a scam, I think, than, than most people realize because those drugs are manufactured. They're not really re-imported into the U.S.
0: They're actually imported to the U.S. for the first time in most cases. That's incredible. So really, what you guys are providing to an employer is a way around the system. Yeah. You, know, you, you mentioned that you're, you're not a PBM. So am I correct in saying that this is really a voluntary mail order program that would supplement or, or wrap around the employer's PBM or insurance carrier? Yeah, that's exactly right, Michael. It doesn't replace anything that they have going now, but
1: but our program wraps around on an optional voluntary basis for the individual member to access their brand name drugs uh, through CRX program. And as I mentioned earlier, their incentive is they have a zero copay if they enroll with us, but it doesn't take any options away and it really has to stay that way. The way we set this up follows all the individual importation guidelines that are allowed for an individual is allowed to... Up- uh, import up to 90-day supply for their own use, assuming they have a legitimate prescription, et cetera. So it doesn't replace anything that the plan sponsor has going. We wrap around the existing structure and mirror what that PBM is offering. So as an example, if if uh, the Nexiums of the world and the PPIs of the world are not offered on a certain formulary, then it wouldn't be available on the on the CRX formulary. So we custom build each one of the formularies for each one of the plans based upon their utilization, their benefit design, what they have on the, on the PBM
0: formulary. It's going to be in line with the current PBM formulary and, and really be a custom design to match what they have, in force from, from a formulary perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. So our, our bottom line is we're not about selling brand name drugs to the, to the
1: members. We're about saving the plan sponsor money. So our bottom line is, you know, if it's not offered through the PBM uh, or if it's lower cost somehow when the copays waive through the PBM, it won't show up on our formulary. If every, every drug on the formulary has to pass that financial test that when that copay is waived or the deductible is waived, that the plan sponsor still saves
0: money. If it does not save money for the plan sponsor when that copay or deductible is waived, then it just won't be on their formulary. That makes a lot of sense. One of the concerns that an employer might have is, you know, wait a minute, isn't it illegal for an employer to purchase drugs from outside the U.S.? What would your response be to to someone who brought that concern up? Yeah, it absolutely is illegal for an employer to purchase those drugs.
1: And and that's why our program is set up, as I mentioned earlier, on an individual voluntary basis. We only contract with that individual member. So when they enroll with us, they're actually signing a contract and asking CRX to procure their medication on, on their behalf for them internationally. So we don't have an agreement with the plan sponsors. We only have an agreement with the members. And then from a reimbursement standpoint, usually the, uh, the TPA or the plan sponsor, it depends on how it's set up, we invoice them month following. So we actually, to walk you through the system a little bit, mm-hmm. when the member enrolls, let's say for Crestor, uh, we process that through, we find the best price pharmacy in our network for that Crestor. We're going to send uh, the enrollment form for the member as well as the prescription to our contracted physician, say in the U.K., he or she's going to review that and rewrite that prescription to be issued out of that jurisdiction, and then it goes over to our pharmacist for a review as well, and then the drugs are shipped directly from the pharmacy to the member's front door. So that whole time, you know, we're, we're contracting with that uh, employer, that member, but we also purchase that drug on behalf of that member from our pharmacy. So it has to have a receipt for payment when it comes through customs, and and we do
0: that on behalf of that member that enrolls with us. Got it. That makes sense. You know, you mentioned the UK. What other locations, you know, are your prescription drugs generally distributed from?
1: Yeah, we have we have four tier one countries, and, and I should uh,
0: identify what a tier one country is. It's a
1: special designation that Congress gave certain countries uh, around the world. Uh, we have Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, mm-hmm. and that tier one status. That tier one status means that their pharmaceutical standards are the same as what we have in the U.S., or in some cases, actually higher. So um, one, one example of a higher standard would be that in our system, when the member receives their shipment, it's not in three different bottles with the pharmacist filled. It's actually in the factory sealed package, never been opened from the time it's left the factory, the original manufacturer, to our pharmacy, to the member. The member's the first one to open that package.
0: Got it. So, so there's, there's, there's no possibility of it being tampered with, you know, from from a point of distribution to the time it arrives to the, the member's house. Right, exactly.
1: And, and, you know, talking about the, the distribution or, or the, what we call the pedigree of the drug, you know, I'll contrast this again from the, the U.S. system. But in our system, you've got the original manufacturer, then you have a government-regulated wholesaler, let's say, again, a wholesaler in the U.K. that imports that medication into the U.K., and then you have our pharmacy, our contracted pharmacy, and then you have the member, okay, so that whole time in the in the supply chain that from the factory uh manufacturing process to the time it gets to the member, it's in the factory seal package and if you look at if you contrast that against the u s system, you've got um you know the manufacturer, you've got the government regulated wholesaler that's importing to the u s then you've got it you know several different warehouses for that that uh, wholesaler. Um, we, we looked at the system a couple of years ago and the average touch was, I believe, nine times that
0: that medication changed hands in the U.S. system. That is incredible. <laughs> if you think about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm an employer, you know, you've mentioned cost savings, right? And so that's, that's a hot button for, for a lot of employers out there as they struggle to contain, you know, their costs, you know, at medical inflation or below. Right. So, so, so for an employer, what, what's the typical amount of savings they might expect, you know, from, from what they're paying on these brand name medications with their incumbent PBM or insurance carrier? Well, if you're talking
1: about, you know, on a
0: percentage basis uh,
1: by drug, by brand name maintenance drug, um, we're probably going to be in that, that 50 to 60 percent range on the drugs that we actually match up with. Um, you know, if you talk about the, if you're looking at it from an overall total drug spend for the health plan, let's say they have a, a $2 million drug spend, we typically on a mature case uh, being, you know, implemented 18 to 24 months in, we're going to knock 10 to 15% off their total drug spend. So, you know, anywhere from 200000 to $300,000 impact on, on that, that plan sponsors drug spend by implementing our program. Uh, at the same time, I should mention that that we're going to be enhancing the employees or the members' benefit. At the same time, so it really is a, a win-win for both the plan sponsor as well as the employee or the member.
0: That savings sounds about right. We actually sent you a data set back in October when we we originally met to just do some due diligence, and the results were were pretty impressive. You know, the analysis showed 58% savings. Uh, assuming 100% of, of those eligible employees you know, moved to the CRX voluntary mail order. And of course, not everyone migrates over to the voluntary mail order. That level of savings, like explain to the audience, why is there that much savings? I mean, is there really that much uh, fat and, and profit built into the pricing from the, the traditional PBMs? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you, you know, if you listen to the PBMs and
1: the pharmaceutical manufacturers, they'll say it's, you know, in the U.S. the price is high because of research and development. That's what they normally pin the high cost on. And in my research, I've done quite a bit of research over the last seven, eight years on this. You know, research and development is a, is a factor in the cost in the U.S., but the ratio for research and development versus lobbying, marketing, and advertising they spend nineteen dollars uh, for every one dollar. They spend nineteen dollars on lobbying, marketing, advertising for every one dollar they spend in, in basic research and development. So <laughs> when you when you look at that that uh, that picture, um, again, that's not going to change anytime soon. I don't think. But part of that is true. Research and development isn't is a cost factor, mm-hmm. but the lion's share of that cost is the lobbying, marketing, advertising. Uh, we we talked about the lobbying a little bit earlier which is obviously very expensive and and keeps them, you know, uh, protected in in Washington, D.C. But the advertising, you know, the U.S. is one of one of very few tier one countries that allows direct to consumer advertising on prescription drugs. Most countries, if you go to Canada, uh, there's you don't see advertising on TV for prescription drugs or hear on the radio or see it in magazines. Mm -hmm. And, And so that that has a big, big, you know, that's a big part of it in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, give me an example. Um, you know, Nexium, which is a uh, the purple pill, as everyone knows. Years sure. ago, you know that that the purple pill is only the purple pill in the U.S. Um, and because they've spent tens of, of millions of dollars on that ad campaign going back the last fifteen or twenty years, um, it's only purple, manufactured as a purple pill for the U.S. marketplace. It's pink everywhere else in the world. Same manufacturer, same active ingredients, just a different color, and it's all because of the marketing campaign that Pharma put out. Uh, Astrazeneca, you know, developed the marketing campaign, and they spent billions or millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, on that campaign. So you get to pay. I think our our price on Nexium right now is probably about 75 to 80 percent less than what it is in the U.S. market. So you get to help them pay for that campaign if you're purchasing your Nexium through the U.S.
0: Yeah, I think logically, if most people think about it, I mean, the number of commercials on TV oh. for drugs—it's—it's it's almost like it's every other one. And I think you know, the Super Bowl's around the corner. I I can almost guarantee you one of the you know big blockbuster ads will will be from a pharmaceutical you know company of some sort advertising a drug you know to consumers. Yeah, absolutely. So so you've got that that
1: system, and then to contrast it again. You've got the, the you know, Canadian system and, and the UK and these other tier one countries I mentioned negotiating directly with the pharmaceutical manufacturer for the price of those drugs. And I'll give you an example, too, on the negotiations that take place. Uh, when Lipitor was a hot commodity for us several years ago, we sourced all of our Lipitor from our contracted pharmacies in New Zealand. And the reason being is, is New Zealand actually put an RFP out, uh, request for proposal, to mm-hmm. all the brand name statin manufacturers, and they made them compete for their business. And then RFP, part of the criteria was whoever won that, that bid was going to be the sole source brand name statin for all the citizens of New Zealand. And so Pfizer and Lipitor won the bid, and we sourced Lipitor when it was still before Torto came out. We sourced Lip- all of our Lipitor out of New Zealand, you know, probably 60% plus lo- lower than the Lipitor was. In the US. And then on top of that, when a Torvastatin came out, all the PBMs, most of them shifted people directly over to a Torvastatin immediately. Well, the problem was the price hadn't really dropped all that much on a Torvastatin initially because Pfizer had some uh, investment in the, the generic manufacturer. And so we, we sourced brand Lipitor uh, out of New Zealand for 12 to 18 months for well under the Torvastatin generic price. You know, and that that just kind of gives you an idea of, of what happens negotiation wise. And those are not just one time negotiations; those are ongoing. Um, in fact, when I first started doing this seven or eight years ago, I would say our average savings analysis for a case was in the high forties uh, to to you know mid fifties. Now, what I see is our, our average savings analysis in in the high fifties to low sixties. So, my point is that disparity is continuing to grow. Um, versus you know what the the other systems the other tier one countries do on pricing and negotiate on pricing the, the lid's basically blown off in the US and so
0: uh that disparity is getting wider and wider. Yeah it's 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 incredible. I mean I think you know if people really knew you know that that um that we were paying so much more uh they'd be livid. Yeah, they would be
1: but you'd be amazed, too, Michael, at, at, at you know, the inertia that's in the marketplace, both with plant sponsors as well as their members sometimes that don't understand, you know, if they understand that these drugs are manufactured outside the U.S. to begin with uh, and then imported, maybe that would make a difference. Or they just look at this and go, these are foreign drugs, you know. Well, they're the same manufacturer, same active ingredients in the factory seal package at 50 or 60% lower cost.
0: Well, so that's great information. And, you know, one thing before we talk about the, you know, what this looks like to the employee, I want to ask one more question. You know, some of the brand and specialty drugs uh, are likely going to be part of a prior authorization process or step therapy process, the um, incumbent PBM. So how would, the utility of, of such a program be affected by incorporating CRX as an alternative uh, delivery channel for some of these scripts? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, one of our, our, our requirements
1: for a member in our system is if they have a new prescription, so today I get Crestor uh, prescribed to me, I have to fill that as a member, that new prescription, for at least 30 days through my PBM prior to enrolling with CRX. So that, that makes sure and validates really that that drug was, was validated by the PBM, filled locally, um, and that, that means that members gone through the prior authorization process because mm-hmm. the PBM filled it or any step therapy uh, program they may have in place. So that's one of our, we don't have a lot of requirements, but that's one of our, our
0: requirements that they fill that new drug for at least 30 days through the PBM. That makes sense. That makes sense. What's, what's the cost for this service? You know, is is there a, a, a per employee per month fee, or you know how are how are you guys getting compensated for the service? Yeah, that's a good question. We we don't charge an
1: administrative fee or a PEPM type fee for the, the the plan sponsor. We have margin on every drug that we purchase on behalf of members and ship for them. Um, but there's no startup cost for the the plan sponsor, um, and really the the only cost is the actual Cost of the drugs that their members were shipped the prior month. So there's no other you know startup fees or anything like that. We do uh, most of the heavy lifting and communication pieces working with you and, and, and with the employer. We'll do all the communication pieces with them. We'll do the mailing. We, we build a website out uh, for each case you know that would house their formulary, all the enrollment forms. Uh, and there's an FAQ, a short little uh, video that introduces the program. So we do all that on our end. But when we look at a case, we only look at cases that are 250 employee lives plus because we have to have enough, you know, significant savings potential there to make it sense for us to
0: implement a case. You know, and if it's under 250 lives, usually it doesn't make sense for us to do that. Sure, sure. That, that makes sense, you know, especially since you're not charging any sort of implementation or, or administrative, you know, fee to get the service right. going. If you think about the traditional... PBM or rather PBMs with a traditional pricing structure where yeah. they're they're making money via spread pricing on every single drug that, that passes through you know their own distribution channel. For many of the PBMs, they they own their own specialty pharmacies where where they're making even more money. So, you know, wouldn't CRX be a be kind of a threat to the PBM as, as your program would potentially be taking drugs out of that PBM's distribution channel?
1: yeah I, I think that that we potentially could be looked at that way initially, but I think that uh, you know if if the PBM really looks at it, we're focused only on that you know fifteen or twenty percent the brand name maintenance drugs, the specialty drugs of the actual you know prescription fills. about most cases are going to have eighty to eighty five percent generic utilization. We don't handle any generics, so that puts us into that that you know fifteen to twenty percent uh, of the fill space. And then on top of that, you know, there's drugs that we don't handle. I mentioned earlier narcotics. We don't handle that. We don't handle lifestyle drugs, temperature-sensitive drugs. Uh, and then on top of that, the program is offered on an individual voluntary basis. So we're not very impactful as far as the number of scripts that that we would interrupt that the PBM is, is, has been filling. Uh, we actually don't end up on the radar screen based on that uh, at all. But uh, we're very impactful from a cost-saving standpoint because the drugs that we're talking about, even though they may be only 15 or 20 percent of the fills,
0: they're usually 70 to 80 percent of the actual prescription drug costs for the plan. That's right. That's right. Would you say that some PBMs are are more willing to to work with you guys than others? And and uh, when I when I say more PBMs, I, I guess I'm thinking about you know, is there a difference? I guess in you know, a PBM who has a pass-through model versus a PBM who has a traditional model in their receptivity to working with CRX. Yeah, I would say there is. I mean, the 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 pass-through model, you know, or or just
1: a pure admin fee PBM, typically they like what we do. We've got some good relationships with several of them in the marketplace. Whereas the 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 PBM that's more the you know traditional model, they look at us as, as potentially impacting their revenue. So yeah, we've we've got some good relationships with, with several PBMs around the marketplace. Um and then we've got some relationships where you know they just as soon not even recognize that we exist.
0: <laughs> of course. You know, thinking about you know the different types of employers out there, who is this a good fit for and, and who who might this not be a good fit for? You know, are there any other sort of you know size or 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 funding limitations? You know, you mentioned the 250 threshold, but yeah. Really- Really, who does this work for? Yeah, I think it's, it's 250 lives plus
1: self-funded employers. really doesn't work in the, the fully insured model because they're fully insured. They've already got the Rx uh, you know, benefit baked into their premium. So they'd be paying for the Rx benefit in their premium, and then they would be paying for our benefit on top of that. So it, it, we're not a good fit for a fully insured arena. Um, cases that are under 250 lives, typically not a good fit uh, for them. I think that the cases that we're a really good fit for tend to be those cases that have uh, more of a paternalistic viewpoint uh, with their employees. They care about their employees. Their employees have been around for a long time. Um, You know, we we have a ton of public sector business um, where the school districts and cities and counties tend to have longer tenured employees. And they tend to have richer benefits, which have typically driven them towards uh, higher cost drugs and things like that. Uh, were very very impactful in that public sector, um, but a private sector as well. I, I would say
0: that the you know the more paternalistic, more innovative employer uh, is a good fit for us. For the person who's listening to this podcast, and you know their their interest is now peaked. You know how long has, has CRX been in business, and you know how many employers have, have actually implemented this, this service? Yeah, this is our our sixteenth year of operation,
1: um, and we have close to 500 self-funded cases around the country, I would say, and, and growing fast. Um, you know, everything from, from the, the East Coast to, you know, Florida, I've got a case in Alaska, uh, we've got cases in California, Texas, you know, installed around the country, both public sector as well as private sector. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's, that's pretty significant that we've been doing this for, for this is our 16th year of operation actually, uh, for that long. And we've never, ever had any type of an incident from an employee member standpoint or from an employer perspective with regards to the legality of our program. Um, But, boy, I tell you what, plans that implement our program, uh, they get it in there. The employees don't want it taken out. I mean, they want it in there. It stays in. Our longevity and our persistency in our business, I would say, is probably uh, 98-plus percent over that 16-year period of time.
0: Well, I, 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 can, that. I, I can imagine, you know, you've got employees who have recognized the value of it and are getting, you know, expensive mail-order prescriptions for a $0 copay. I wouldn't want that to go away either. <laughs> well, and as an employer or a plan sponsor,
1: how often are you able to offer a richer benefit to your members while you're saving money?
0: I mean, so they're, they're pretty excited about keeping it in there as well. Yeah, yeah, very cool. For employers that are interested, are there any, I guess obstacles you've encountered to to an employer saying yes to implementing, you know, the service or, or or what have been some challenges in getting employers to adopt it?
1: Yeah, I would say that, that the, uh, the two big issues that pop up,
0: and we talked about a
1: little bit of this, uh, would be the legal, legality issue and then safety. So uh, from a legal standpoint, we know we're on very firm ground. Uh, we've been operating the same way for 16 years. So it is legal. U.S. Code Title 21 says it is legal for an individual to import up to a 90-day supply for their own use, assuming they have a legitimate prescription, and it's not going to cause harm to the individual. So that's the legal aspect, and that's why our program is set up strictly on you know, individual enrollment, member contracts with CRX, et cetera. And then from a safety standpoint, that's purely educational. If the employees or the members and the plan sponsor understand these drugs are manufactured outside the U.S. anyway, uh, these are the same drugs from the same manufacturer in the factory sealed package at 50 to 60% less cost, um, they get it, the light bulb will come on, but it just, I, I think those are the two big issues, um, but we address those all the time, and obviously with, with 500 self-funded groups in place, we've been able to overcome those, those issues.
0: Is there anything, you know, right now that, uh, you're, you're really excited about in the business, any, any improvements or enhancements that you guys are working on? Well, we're constantly looking at the, the formulary
1: that we offer, you know, we're, we're monitoring that, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, uh, we'll change our formulary monthly if need be, but typically every quarter. So we're looking at, at the advent of a lot of specialty drugs that were formerly, you know, uh, injectables or liquid form that are now in, in pill or capsule form that we can actually source a, as a, a international uh, prescription provider. I think that is, and I'm sure you've seen in other uh, areas, plan sponsors that are getting hammered by their specialty drug costs. Oh, yeah. And so that's, that's, that's an exciting area for us. We're trying to continue to develop that specialty drug area. Uh, and, and, you know, if we can save money, on a, on a pill or capsule form, specialty drug, then we'll we'll source it and be able to save the plan sponsor money. The other component, too, that we didn't talk about, Michael, I think is, is compliance, especially when you're talking about a specialty drug. The group might have a, you know, co-insurance on a specialty drug up to a $500 max, or they might have a $100 or $200 deductible or copay that applies. And And, you know, you get into scenarios where these members are taking a specialty drug, and they can barely afford the copay or the co-insurance on it, and our program gives them access, you know, on a zero copay, and so now they can be compliant with their course of treatment. I think that, to me, that that's what I'm passionate about—knowing that that we've got members that aren't going to have to skip their drugs
0: or 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 you know, not be com- in compliance with their course of treatment because they can't afford it. A great point, especially you know, as employers move to you know higher and higher deductible plans, you know, even on yeah, you know, gosh, even on some of the HMOs out there, you know, there's yeah. there's there's just a lot more employee out-of-pocket expense, and it's pretty easy to see how you know very quickly the the out-of-pocket expense can become a barrier to you know taking your meds. Yeah, absolutely. If there was one question, Mike, that I that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? Anything I missed? Well, I think I don't think anything you missed necessarily. I, I think that just again
1: the, the the contrast our system from the U.S. system. I think that's really important to understand that you know things like rebates that exist in the U.S. and and average wholesale price and and all these things that that exist here. Those are all made up things that are in in the system in the U.S. Uh, that are made up to basically continue the the inside the box thinking. That's gone on for years and years and years, and continue to make sure that the PDMs and the pharmaceutical manufacturers are raking in the profits, and
0: that the plan sponsors are paying for it. I agree wholeheartedly. So, how can people interested in your product and service get in touch with you? They could shoot me an email at mike
1: at crxintl short for international.com. So, mike at crxintl or they can call my office directly at eight hundred
0: five two seven Eight one two zero. For any of our clients listening, uh, obviously, uh, you know, you can work with us to get in touch with CRX and work on the due diligence. So I think uh, we're we're coming to the end of our time here, Mike. On behalf of our listeners and myself, I really want to thank you for for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. I, I think this has really been a great discussion and and uh, you know certainly educational for uh, the folks listening. Well, thank you, Michael, for your time. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the CRX program in more detail. Awesome. All right. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to the podcast and share with any of your friends and colleagues who you think would find value in the information we talk about here on the show. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com, where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to CRX International's website and contact information. Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our website, including our health plan innovator scorecard, where you can see just how innovative your health plan is. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast.